0: On today's episode of the podcast, we'll be breaking down the winners, losers, and steals of the 2023 NHL Draft, breaking down the teams that did the best job, the teams that did not-so-good job, and then who got the highest value out of their picks, all coming up on Locked On NHL Prospects.
1: You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Locked On NHL Prospects Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, Sebastian and I break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. Uh, no, my name is Hattie Kalakesh. I'm joined by Sebastian High. We're both um, high-ranked guys at Dauber Prospects, right? Uh, but we love doing this work here. We'll breaking. We'll be breaking down on today's episode the winners and losers in terms of teams of the 2023 NHL Draft. And then in our final segment, we'll be breaking down the picks that, are, that already qualify as steals based on where they were meant to go, where they were ranked on most rankings. So make sure to stick all the way to the end. We'll talk about that all in detail. In the meantime, though, uh, make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. It's always very much appreciated. So, Sebastian let's get right into it with the winners and losers we'll start with the winners in our first segment here now there are a lot of teams to talk about here I think of a lot of teams that really really good drafts um, you know not in terms of landing every pick and nailing everyone but you know in some teams that is the case so let's start with uh, with Columbus here what do you think about their draft hall so far I think
1: it was my favorite draft class overall um, also because of the draft capital that they had like I think yep. maybe Carolina, Hit on a larger percentage of picks, maybe, maybe not, but close to it. But they just didn't have the same draft capital, so the value mm-hmm. they got out of the draft just couldn't compare. But mm-hmm. landing Adam Fantilli, Gavin Brindley, William White, Law, Andrew Strothman, Luca Pinelli, and Tyler Peddle in a single draft class with just one pick in each of the first three rounds is absurd value in my book.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I fully agree. I especially like the Gavin Brindley pick in the early second for me. This is a pick that. First of all, I believe Adam Fantilli said he cried a little bit when Gavin Bridley was picked, which is adorable. Uh, But their teammates, they've been teammates for a long while. And I think their skill sets really complement each other. If you get them on the top six together, holy, that's going to be fun. Uh, But yeah, moving on to our second winners of the draft. I'm proud to announce that the Nashville Predators had a good draft, um, courtesy of Barry Trotz. Let's talk about that a little bit. I like the haul here, especially their picks in the first round. Um, Matthew Wood is decent value at 15. It's okay. I like it a
1: lot. It's a big swing on upside. It's a really big swing and it could pay off massively.
0: Same for Tanner and Dyke was probably one of the best rush defenders in the draft, but
1: I'm a bit less enthusiastic on that a bit more tentative yeah. because he is an absolutely elite skater, a very good rush defender and everything else is a work in progress. I, I, I like to player like Bo Aki a little bit more personally along those same lines, but yeah. uh, I think especially if you're take like the message was to take big swings and they did just that because uh, Tanner Moland likes to swing for, for the fences.
0: Absolutely. And then you talk about some of their later picks like Kalen Lynn, Felix Nielsen, even Joey Willis in the in the fourth I round. I like Joey Willis. Fantastic. We love Joey Willis, don't we? Just a fantastic defensive player, but you can see the kind of glimpse of offensive game that could be there's, developed. There's some so. nice
1: creativity. Like, like he flashes some really fun things. He's he's really fun. He's not he's not like your boring stay at home defensive forward at all. He's he's Absolutely. creative and and sneaky and really really fun to watch. And I think you quite liked the Aiden Fink pick as well, didn't you?
0: I absolutely loved it. For me, Aiden Fink is one guy who I watched this year with Brooks, and I was like, "Man, he's at like he he's just not meant to be playing that low level hockey. He he's if he was eligible for the WHL, he would have tore it up. I really think that you know you can look at the skating and the size as a concern. That's definitely why he slipped all the way to 218th uh, in, in the late seventh round. But if you look at the skill set in a vacuum, if you look at the ability to manipulate lanes, open up passing lanes, play give and go, to and especially his underrated shot, which I think is one thing that isn't talked about enough is Aiden Fink's a really good goal scorer as well so he's just got a lot to his game that's that's really interesting and I think that definitely once you hit the seventh round and he's still available I would have run to the podium for him I had him 75th so yeah definitely yeah. up there for sure so so that's the National Predators now we move on to Chicago it's hard to not pin him as winners having come out of the draft with the best player and Connor of but I'm you much got a more, lot more interested too. in their second first round yeah, exactly. I'm a lot more interested in the second, first rounder there and Oliver Moore at 19. Oliver Moore. For me, Oliver <laughs> Moore pick. was, at the, you know, in the NTDP, he was competing with Will Smith for me as a top pick. So to I have, him, have him at 19th, for me, he might be, you know, he's not going to score as many points as Will Smith. Definitely not. But he's going to be more impactful. Exactly. Yeah, maybe. You yeah. know, for me, the impact that Oliver Moore brings to the game defensively in terms of intensity, in terms of, you know, he's the best skater in the draft. So. And I think the yeah, situation.
1: Is absolutely perfect because he will never have to be the one C. He can just yeah, be exactly you C if he if he continues on his current trajectory. And I love that. Um, I think picking Adam Guyana at thirty five was a bit of a reach. Uh, he was not the goalie I would have picked first in the in the draft class, um, yeah. but I can see why. Look, his World Junior performance was unbelievable. Yeah, and he's big and mobile, but. 35 yeah. is rich a little bit rich but despite that i do think that chicago is a winner in this draft class adding guys like martin michiak and nick lardis in the late second and early third rounds awesome value uh yep. i quite like the marcel marcel pick i i chuckled a bit when he got picked not just because of the, the name but he is the most wacky QMJL player there is he is he's put four 243 pounds i got to watch him live a couple times in gatineau uh and he, he looks like a man amongst children in the QMJHL. And really
0: does. Really
1: entertaining. I, I don't know what the NHL upside there specifically is, but maybe you get a massive fourth-line checking forward out of it who mm-hmm. entertains people on the ice and with his name, and I think that you can do a lot worse than that combination.
0: Absolutely. Uh, then we got another winner here in Carolina. What a surprise. Uh, Carolina's picks of Russian players overall over the last three, four <laughs> yeah. years have been just elite. I mean, you talk about the value they added in the late first with Bradley Nadeau. Already, that's fantastic value in terms of great the value. He can bring. Just high end goal scorer, probably one of the best goal scorers, top three, top five goal scorer in the draft. Getting that at 30 is amazing. Then you look at Felix Unger which is Our great guy. value at 62. He's just amazing. He's so was, fun. This was really
1: validating to me because I talked to a lot of other public scouts about FUS and. Very few other public scouts shared our enthusiasm at Dauber for Felix Ungersorum. So seeing yep. him pick top 64 by Carolina of all teams was really validating to me because uh, he was a guy where I, I kept going back and being like, what am I missing here? What What's wrong? Because yeah. I kept talking with other public scouts who were way more tentative and really good public scouts. So I was starting to doubt myself a little bit, but uh, I mm-hmm. think Carolina picking him at 62 was mm-hmm. nice and validating. And I'm really happy for him. He's a really... Really like the style of game he plays is like high intensity, really high engagement. And I like those players getting rewarded for their effort.
0: Absolutely. And then for me, probably their best pick of the draft in Jaden Perron at 94th. Yeah. We love Jaden Perron. um, And the fact that Carolina loves him as well is a great sign for us as scouts. Just he, I have so much trouble naming a weakness of his. And it's just, on top of that, he's got some of the best hands in the draft. He's got a lot of offensive acumen and awareness. He's inconsistent at times. Maybe his top speed pace, needs to come up. Pace yeah. needs work.
1: It, he's not yeah. as inside driven when there's pressure. Like, there's definitely errors for improvement, but he's mm-hmm. extremely well-rounded in a really good way. He's a tenacious defensive player. Yep. Getting up 94 is absurd. And there, there were two more picks from that draft class that I quite liked as well. I think mm-hmm. Alexander Rikov at 100 and Timur Mukhanov at 163 are both great value bets.
0: Absolutely, and just to end things up for our winners, we've got the Philadelphia Flyers already. Just getting Matt Mihychkov in this, at seventh overall is just insanity to me. Just a, hes probably—he's up there with Bedard in terms of upside for me. It, it's just—I I don't think do he him. has
1: quite the same—the same level of upside as, as Bedard. I was never quite convinced of that, but I think he has the second highest upside in the, in the draft class, perhaps slightly edging out Fantilli. And I think people mm-hmm. do undervalue Fantilli's upside. But yeah. I, I do think Mishkov is just a slight bit higher. But the likelihood where Fantilli becomes the more impactful piece between the two, I think, is enough to sway me to to pick Fantilli over Mishkov. But oof, mm-hmm. getting Bay Mishkov at 7th overall is absurd. And uh, he will score a lot of goals in the NHL for a very, very long time.
0: Absolutely. And that's not even getting into of Ye- Roggen at 87th. Um, you know, guys like Cole Knubel and Alex Chernick in the fourth round. Carter Sutherland is uh, a nice pick. Yeah. You got absolutely. a lot they there. Had a, they got a lot of greed Valley out of the draft. Uh, Denver Barky as well. Oh, that's your right. boy. Big,
1: Can't forget your boy here. as
0: well. Fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, quick honorable mention to Seattle, San Jose, and Buffalo. All three of them had fantastic drafts. So we just didn't have time to plug them in. But yeah, a lot of winners in this draft. Now let's get into the losers. Unfortunately, our second segment is going to be a bit more pessimistic. But well, we'll get right into it right after these messages.
1: Our next partner is AG1 the daily foundation nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I gave AG1 a try. And now every morning before I drink my cup of coffee, when I'm out perched on my front porch, I also take some AG1 and it really helps me feel energized and ready to take on the next day. I'm always after some new ways of healthily gaining some more energy and AG1 works pretty well for me. If a comprehensive solution is what you are after, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first port purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash NHL Network to check it out. That is drinkag1 slash NHL Network. Go check it out.
0: All right, so moving on to our pessimistic portion of the episode. We'll talk about the losers of this draft, the teams that didn't do as well with the picks that they had uh, or just overall didn't do a good job of managing their picks uh, in, in general. So let's start with, for me, the the main kind of headlining, kind of not-so-good drafting team of this, of this class, which is Montreal. I mean, the Canadians had... Heading into the draft, you know, heading heading into the postseason, they had uh picks 5, 31, and thirty-seven. They traded picks thirty-one and thirty-seven for Alex Newhook. Time will tell whether or not that's a good trade. I don't think so based on the the players that might have been available in that range. But
1: I love I love Newhook. I think acquiring him is an awesome thing the halves did. I think they yeah. paid too much to do so.
0: Absolutely. But focusing on the picks they had, uh at fifth overall, David Reinbacher was not my guy. Straight just, just, straight up, I just I like what he brings to the game. I like the certainty of his profile. I think he's going to be a fantastic second pair defenseman. Yeah. For me, I don't think he can, and I don't think he will become anything more than that. But time will tell with scouting, it's a bit of a crapshoot. Players develop some skills out of nowhere sometimes that you're not expecting. So we'll see about that. I just, from everything I've seen, everything I've read, everything I've heard, Reinbacher wasn't exceptional in interviews to the point where he would. Be one of the guys that's considered in the top five just based on character. He's got an average skill set, really not a good handler, but just a fantastic defensive defenseman. He's he's a
1: very he's very good in his own zone, and there's been there's been moments this season where I see an offensive willingness in him where he activates and he'll circle around the offensive zone, but Mm -hmm. he really struggled to pierce like compact NL defensive structures. So he would literally circle the offensive zone in possession of the puck searching for openings but he wouldn't include delays he wouldn't try to deceive to, to create those openings so mm-hmm. i don't think he, he he at least doesn't yet have the tools to be offensively creative but he mm-hmm. has the passive mecha- mechanics to if he adds some creativity and some dynamism and deception into his movements which we've seen the half development staff be able to help players build those skills mm-hmm. if they can i think you'll unlock a higher upside with him where you have some offensive creativity and if you can get those offensive activations to actually create offensive chances. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see a more interesting player there. Like in transition, yeah. he's mainly just a passer. As you said, the handling is a bit of an issue. He's locked top hand, uh, but defensively really, really strong. And the Habs needed right D. I can see how they kind of pit and hold themselves into selecting for position. I just, with Matt Van Mishkov on the board and Zach Benson on the board, it's tough for me to rationalize. Yeah. At the same time, I think he's going to be an excellent top four piece for a very long time. I just think that, they, that, they, that the asset they gave up to acquire that, that valuable piece doesn't quite correlate with that value, at least at this point in time.
0: No, 100%. Uh, you know, starting at 10, sure. At five, he yeah. had so much value on the board. It's just. And especially the fact that their, their second pick. I mean, I, I love Jacob Fowler. I think he's a fantastic pick at 69th uh, overall. For me, their third pick being at 101st already as a bottom five team. I agree. I agree. And on top of that, having that pick be Florian Jackie, who probably wasn't going to get drafted this year, or if he was going to get drafted, was probably going to be available in the sixth or seventh round. Yeah. I cannot justify that being a good pick. There's a lot
1: of draft capital to spend on a player who has yet to go half a point a game in the OHL, I believe. There's a lot of question marks. And I think for me, kind of something that concerns me is I, I feel like I had a pretty good overview of the draft class. And prior to this draft, I had scouted Reinbacher, Fowler, Florian Jacki, and Luke middlestat And that was it. And yeah. there's a lot of swings where at least in terms of public radar, it was off the board. I'm mm-hmm. sure some of them were a bit more on the board in terms of, of private uh, rankings, but I got like Sam Harris at, in the fifth round. I, I, I struggle with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think as a whole, all these picks are things where like, I, as someone who still does like the Habs and lots of a Habs fan than I used to be, but I I hope they make us look dumb for criticizing the the class. But I have so many question marks here and uh, would have also loved if the interviews with team staff would have actually gone a bit more into depth as to why they pick these players and why their toolkits are enticing. Because a lot of it kind of just boiled down to, they were highest on our board and they're good character. And that was kind of it of, I think some transparency in terms of the reasoning for draft picks would also gain a lot of trust from scouts and fans alike in terms of like, please explain to me why you're picking these players. I'd love to hear it, but I didn't really get those explanations that would have maybe convinced me otherwise.
0: Makes sense. And then moving on to Vancouver. Now Vancouver had, you know, in terms of the picks they had, I, I just, there's a lot of value left on the board, especially Tom Volander at 11th. I think that with Zach Benson still there, he seemed like a great fit. He's a local guy. Just yeah. it, it just seemed like something that they would do, but they went with the defenseman. I understand it; they have a need for that. But then after that, they just kept going with D-men. I mean, for me, um, you know, Hunter Bustavis is good value for sure. Yeah, but after that, just I mean, Sawyer Minio
1: a, top hundred a bit much for me.
0: I did not see him getting picked at all. Let alone yeah. in the top 100. So that's one weird one. Uh, then you go into Ty Mueller, who really was off the board as well. Gilmore uh, Alrickson know, as well. Matthew Perkins, a lot was of fine, question marks, but a lot of question marks in terms of their picks. But then we can uh, just kind of talk about the Islanders and the lack of first round pick. Their last first round pick was in 2019. Like, what's going Which on with Blue It's not yeah. ideal at all for a team that's middling, um, and especially having their first, you know, their first couple of picks be so safe. In terms of Danny Nelson, uh, you know, uh, Jesse Normie, those kinds of guys, I think that the Islanders could have done a lot better with the picks that they had, but they kind of went for the safe picks because they wanted any shellers, which, you know, I don't if know, if they team...
1: like Danny Nelson to me is a high likelihood for C and I don't know if there's anything beyond that. And I think yeah. spending a second round pick on that asset is a bit steep for me. Yeah. Um, but like Pittsburgh is another team where they took some swings that I, I, I wouldn't have personally took taken like Brayden Yeager at 14th overall to me is a bit much. Yeah. He, he, it's not that he just didn't progress in the last year. Like I, I thought he was a better player as a DMS in his DMS one season than he was last year. So
0: yeah,
1: that scares me. Like there's not just a, like a lack of progression, but there's kind of a regression in, a, in your draft mm-hmm. year season that puts up some, some some warning bells in my mind. Uh I think Cooper Foster at 174 is a perfectly fine pick. Same with Emilio yeah. Arventia at, at 2 at 217. But I think as a whole there's a lot of these picks that for Pittsburgh that I wouldn't have personally made and I I struggle to, to fully rationalize it. Like even Emilio Pini Pien- at the top 100 it was a bit much for me. I I I didn't mind him in my viewings, but it was kind it was kind of more in that glut of of HMs for me of just Guys, where it's like had some nice flashes, but there wasn't that consistent ability and or or game breaking flashes even uh, that that would entice me to spend a top hundred pick on them. Uh, but sure. yeah, and then the last one with Ottawa, I think Ottawa was one more that we had as as a a bit of a question mark uh, in their draft class, and they they had no top hundred yeah. pick, so it's tougher to criticize the selections themselves. Yeah. I think Hoyt Stanley at one oh eight is fine. He's really raw. It's a big swing. I don't mind that. It's a bit higher than I'd feel comfortable taking it, but that's okay. But I'm not convinced they added a single other intriguing prospect with their other four selections from what I've seen. I haven't watched Vladimir Nikita much at all, so I'm going to refrain on that. But Mm -hmm. Andonovsky, Beckner, and Van Tassel are all bottom half of the lineup uh, junior players that I wouldn't have uh, selected in the NHL draft class. But uh, what's your take on this class here?
0: I think Andonovsky's fine, but other than that, I don't think the the Senators really added much of value. But yeah, no, I mean, this kind of... There's a, there's a couple other teams we could have considered, but just a lack of high high-end picks in the top 100 yeah. kind of put them out of there that's why we were kind of on the fence regarding ottawa it's because it's not really fair to kind of compare them to teams that had multiple first rounders and yeah, picks the in the top 100 uh so yeah no uh but but that's it for our second segment regarding the losers of the draft now we're going to go into the uh picks that we can already qualify as steals based on where they were supposed to go we'll get into it right after these messages Alright, so for our final segments, we'll look into the early steals of this draft. Now, if you want in-depth reports, we're going to go pretty quickly here, but if you want the in-depth kind of analysis of pretty much every single team's draft hall. You can look at our first four episodes of the week. We get into every team of the NHL's draft hall and what they got out of their players based on what we've watched. But let's start off with, for me, the kind of more evident one in Matt Mishkova a seventh overall to the Philadelphia Flyers. The Russian factor definitely played into it. There were some character concerns as well um, and just a lot of uncertainty surrounding him. But he's just fantastic in terms of the upside, the goal scoring ability. I don't think there's a better player. I mean, I mean, six foot or six feet around the net in terms of, you know, plugging pucks into the back of the net. I don't think there's a better player than me. in this draft. I think yeah, the guard that is,
1: but that's, yeah. and And that's, it's the Bedard exception. It barely counts. Like,
0: he's, just, he's just good he's at great. everything. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you yeah, add on top of that the playmaking improvements, you yeah, add on top of that the sick handling ability of the sixth sense that he has for danger in the offensive zone. There's Very just impressive. so much I like about Mishkov. He was my my third-ranked prospect. So Mine that's, that's, that's that says enough about what I think about him. Uh, uh, yeah, Zach about Benson.
1: Yeah. Zach Benson, another one, right? Like, we're, we're massive Zach Benson fans. Uh, he ended up falling in the draft because... Of his combination of lack of height and uh, he's not an above-average skater. He's kind of like average, maybe slight, a tinge below average skating. But in my in, in my view, and I think you share this, Hattie, he doesn't need to be that. And and he's so intelligent, so skilled. One of the the top two or three playmakers in the entire draft class, along with with, with uh, Connor Bedard and Will Smith, probably uh, just tremendous. He's an elite defensive forward. An elite four checker, an elite motor. He has everything they could possibly want in a player except for size and speed, basically. But he yeah. doesn't need to because he thinks the game levels so much higher than everyone he plays against. And every single shift he played with Winnipeg this season, his line was the best one. So uh that's the profile that I would swing on and Buffalo Game at 13 was disgustingly good value. So
0: yeah. Speaking yeah. of uh of high-end defensive players who went lower than they should have, Oliver Moore at 19th. Um yeah. The fastest skater in the draft, the best skater overall in the draft, on top of that being one of the more intense players in the draft, on top of that being one of the most defensively responsible, and on top of that having decent skills. I think he slipped mainly because of teams kind of being concerned by the speed being too much for his own hands. The more the year went on, the less I was concerned with that, and that's why he was kind of neck and neck with Will Smith for me at the top end of my top 10. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that teams looked at more, especially early in the year, and saw a player that was playing too fast for his own good. Uh, but I think that as years as the year goes on, we'll see a lot less of concern on that end. Uh, but yeah, tell us about Musty.
1: Yeah, Quentin Musty is, I think, a, an awesome, awesome pick for San Jose at twenty six. You're getting a player with like probably a top five or six upside in the entire draft class. He's mm-hmm. really raw. He will ne- need some time to refine, but uh, there's a there's definitely a scenario where he becomes a pretty pretty dominant top line power winger and he blends that power game with elite handling skill and uh he is a really good goal scorer and he's an elite playmaker uh yes the defensive engagement isn't great yet and he's still in the process of learning how to use his line mates which must have uh also contributed to him falling in the draft but uh there is such tremendous upside here that I love that that draft selection it's here. Insane for value sure.
0: for for San Jose for sure. Uh, then we got Gavin Brindley at thirty four to Columbus. Just a probably the best rush defending forward in this draft. Oh, it's yeah. just it's, it's a very particular pockets. skill. He's really good at it. Um, but on top of that, as the year went on in Michigan and injuries kind of. Uh, played their lineup he made his way up into the top six and showed that he has a playmaking ability the off puck smarts the movement in the offensive zone to make it work offensively as well for me he was a lock for my top 15 and to have him available at 34 is just fantastic value another small undersized forward who mainly slipped because of the lack of size um, I don't see anything outside of that that would concern an NHL team because everything else he does really really well especially off the puck
1: yeah, I think Andrew Crystal is another player where we weren't at all surprised outside the first round.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I, I know that very few NHL teams had him even on the brink of the first round in terms of value, because mm-hmm. uh, he's scary. He has he has the biggest uh, divergence between his, his hills and valleys in terms of the highs and lows in his game uh, of any player in this draft class. And that understandably scares teams off. He's in- incredibly inconsistent, but he has game-breaking ability. And I think with a second round draft pick, If you swing and miss on a player who could be a middle six player, that stings a bit. But if you swing and miss on a guy that could be a top liner with a second round draft pick, especially when when they, when Washington already landed Ryan Leonard in the first round, they Mm -hmm. had the freedom to take that swing. And I'm very glad they did.
0: Absolutely. And then we got Oscar Fisker-Molgaard at 52. Um, just one of the more refined and mature players in this draft. Um, you know, Sebastian referred to him in last episode as this year's kind of uh, Artur and I think that's a fantastic comparison in terms of what he does right. Um, but kind of a more playmaking and less goal-scoring Artur Yeah, I like his shot. I, I especially like the clutch ability. He's so clutch in moments where he's needed by his team. Um, but really, what you're getting out of him is a very mature, very refined, very... Uh, impactful and and reliable player in, in Austria for Seminole Garden. Get that in the in the mid to late second round, fantastic value. Um, I think the lack of flash and, and high-end offensive abilities kind of kept him out of first-round conversation, but I felt like he was just a, a pure contender's pick, and I, I expected him to be one of the guys, you know, between him, David Edstrom, Felix Nilsson, one of those Swedish guys, I felt like one of them was going to get picked in the late first round. Vegas ended up going for David Estrum, but for me, Oscar fisker is a better version of Estrum. So I'm surprised he's available this far.
1: I agree. And then we had the two picks at 63 and 64, uh, which were both excellent. Grayson Souchin and Riley Height, two mm-hmm. undersized but hyper-skilled WHLers that we like a lot for different reasons, but they are both very intense. And uh, where Grayson Souchin has one of the best handling skills in the entire draft class and is also a really high-end playmaker height kind of matches that but in this in a way where his goal scoring is a big question mark for me and yeah. i i think in the end i had rank right a little bit higher than height because of his ability to also score and he's more of a dual threat offensively and i mm-hmm. like his defensive game a little bit more than heights but i know that uh, you are one of the the highest people on height in the public sphere. So tell me about why you like Riley height specifically.
0: I like Riley height because he dictates the game off the puck so well. I mean, he, he he plays kind of a shepherd role when, when facing defensemen that are trying to break out, he'll angle them towards, uh, you know, defensemen on his side or, or his wingers on his side regarding where he wants them to go. He kind of mind tricks them into going into lanes that they don't want to in order to face pressure that they weren't expecting. And he, he doesn't, generate turnovers himself but he creates them off his teammate's stick just by his positioning and his angling of players so that's one thing he does extremely well especially like the feistiness with height you see him often you know throw a punch after the whistle a little a little tug and shove you know that kind of stuff he's really involved between whistles which is always very fun to watch but i especially think that the playmaking is going to develop into something that's kind of a a second line potential type thing i see him as kind of a uh kind of a um Yanni Gord with better playmaking is how, I, is how I consider him. So I think, I I think your, my...
1: your read on height is basically exactly my read on reception. So <laughs> there we go. I think that covers both of them. Uh, but another, another WHL steal, but now in the third round, Caden price at 84th overall is fantastic yep. value for Seattle. And uh, we talked about this on yesterday's episode and yeah, it's a, it's a really fun pick because he's really raw. He's one of the most inconsistent defensemen in the entire draft class. Kelowna kind of had a thing of that, like with with Price and Crystal, but uh, he's also really young for the class. He's a long runway, and he has a combination of mobility and reach, and transition defending, and passing ability, and handling flashes. And if he can put it all together, I think he can get a really special player. It's not overly likely that, that he will, but spending a, a third round draft pick on that risk, I think, is a, a very very nice value selection.
0: Absolutely, they got Jaden Perron at ninety four. We we all know Probably how we Probably the feel best about pick in the Perron. draft.
1: I mean, apart me, from Mitch Comets 7, I think yeah, apart from no. that, I think this is the best pick. Perron is good in quite a few different areas. He's really versatile. He's really fun, uh, but he fell because his production wasn't great in the USHL and uh, in the USHL, uh, Jaden Perron has may not produce to the highest degree, but he's been showing elite level off off puck offensive movement and uh i think he's a very special player so for carolina to nab that at 94th overall i think is a tremendous swing on upside uh but yeah it's it, it definitely a very fun pick and beyond that a player that i was really surprised fell had the top 100 was cameron allen at 136 uh where i wasn't expecting him to fall that far but uh, he did, and I think it was a bit of an overcorrection in terms of how NHL scouts viewed him. Like he definitely fell because of concerns around his decision making, especially in terms of his shooting habits and on puck decisions uh, under pressure. Specifically, he could panic a little bit under pressure. However, you're getting a player who's shown some really intriguing defensive feistiness, and he's very mobile. Mobile. He's a he's. I think he could become a really intriguing offensive transition piece as well. He just, he cannot be the offensive blue liner on a pairing because he he struggled in that role. And that's what Guelph kind of pigeonholed him as. And he struggled a lot as a result, but I don't think he deserved to fall to 134, 136, where he ended up going. Uh, So that's another one where I think that the team got fantastic value. Uh, Moving on, we have... Another OHL defender, he went 14 picks later, Matthew Mania at 150 to LA, uh, who is a chaotic defenseman, but in flashes has gone end-to-end, showing tremendous skill. He's really poised under pressure, loves to draw it in in order to exploit open space and to help his teammates uh, access it as well. Uh, Defensively a bit chaotic, he'll need to tame that, and he'll need four to five years to progress enough to get to an NHL level. But I think it's possible, and getting that at 150 is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last three picks I want to give a shout-out at uh, shout out for towards the end of the draft class are Timur Mukhanov to Carolina at 163, Aiden Fink at 218 in Nashville, and Tyler Paddle at 224, the final pick of the draft, to Columbus, who traded up to that pick just to select Tyler Paddle, which was a really beautiful little moment uh, being at the draft and, and seeing uh, – his entire family, quite dejected that he hadn't been selected up until that point, jump up in in pure excitement when his name was announced. The final pick of the draft was quite a beautiful moment, and I think he deserved to go in the top five or four rounds in the draft class. So that was a, definitely a good a good trade for uh, Columbus to make. And yeah, I think that that wraps up the steals. Uh, these are kind of the players that. Mean and Hattie liked a lot more than, than what their draft slots would indicate their value being. And they are the players that we kind of want to plant our flags in, and, and, and see how they develop now with time and are, are really excited to, to keep supporting as, as the next years go by. But that concludes this episode and the first week of the relaunch of the Locked on Antel Prospects podcast. So I hope that you all enjoyed it. And uh, check us out um, with all of our links. They will be in the the description down below, whether you're on YouTube or on your typical podcast listening uh, place. And we will see you again on Monday morning with our next episode for the week. Until then, goodbye.